Blog Talk Radio. Hey, everybody, this is Janine, and I just had my first blog talk uh, radio malfunction under the new no- new show name, uh, Thinking Out Loud. And so there you go. That's what we get uh, for, for being social media players, and it's all good. So, hey, this is Janine, and you are listening to Thinking Out Loud. Coffee Party Internet Radio is a part of the Be the Media Project. For a complete list of Coffee Party Radio Network shows, go to www.coffeepartyusa.com and click on Radio Shows. Consider joining our team. I'd love to have you on board. So, some housekeeping. First, if you'd like to chime in on this conversation, call in at 646-929-2495 and press 1 to be put in the host queue. Um, if you do call in, I want to remind you that we observe the the civility pledge. And that is, I'm going to read it really quick. It's very brief and to the point. As a member or supporter of the coffee party, I pledge to conduct myself in a way that is civil, honest, and respectful towards people with whom I disagree. I value people from different cultures. I value people with different ideas. And I value and cherish the democratic process. Keeping number two, I always want to give my Coffee Party telethon moment, which is Coffee Party USA, that's you and me, is totally funded by you, our members and supporters. Citizens United has not benefited us. We have no sugar daddy behind the curtain. It's just us, you and me. If you'd like to become a member, go to www.coffeepartyusa.com. Click on the big red Become a Member Today button. And you can choose to be an annual member, a monthly sustainer, or a one-time donor. And I thank you, Advance, for your support of Coffee Party. So today, our guest is Michael Resnick. He's a doctor. He has a master's in public health. He's a retired physician, now social activist. You may remember Dr. Resnick from our broadcast last June as co-founder of Millions Marching for Medicare for All nonpartisan marches in all 50 states and a rally on the Capitol's West Lawn on July 24th. He graduated from Rutgers Medical School in 1974 and became an internist and gastroenterologist in private practice until he saw the for-profit sickness medical complex taking over the healthcare system of earlier days. Michael entered politics in the late 1980s and was elected to the local Democratic elected Democratic chairman of his town in New Jersey. He was selected to be an alternate delegate for Bill Clinton because of Clinton's desire for health care reform. And despite meeting with the president, Dr. Rushnick and many physicians and nurses were excluded from the task force of so-called Hillary Care, which imploded. Although it was a good thing in Oregon, we just picked up the ball and ran with it here. Michael earned a master's of public health from Rutgers of Public Health and was appointed to be managing physician of care of health care planning for the New Jersey State Department of Health, but was greatly disheartened when all health care decisions of physicians within the department had to be approved by the governor. Hmm. Sounds like inappropriate oversight. In 2008, he co-founded Americans for Healthcare on Facebook and spoke up at a public hearing of a New Jersey politician, Congressman Frank Pallone who claimed to be one of the chief architects of Obamacare. Directly asked a simple question, have you or any member of Congress asked any healthcare professional to be involved in the writing of the Affordable Care Act? The reply was no. I think I see the seeds of activism here. Dr. Resnick has turned the attention to the fate of dreamers and 
legislation that has been thrown under the bus by the president. So with that, I'll say welcome back to Phoenix, Michael. Thank you so much for inviting me back, and I'm excited to talk to you. Excellent. Well, my my first question is probably super obvious, which is, um, how does the founder of Health for All become a leader in the community? I'm experiencing some breaking up, uh, Janine, on okay. the call. And oh, I'm so sorry. I'm definitely having issues here. I apologize. Um, but I know that you can speak to DACA without hearing me speak, so I can hear you fine. Why don't you go ahead? Okay, great. Um, I, I think uh, that we talked prior to the show and uh, your question to me was, you know, why I moved on, not exactly moved on, um, still with Medicare for All. Our next national march is May 6th, nationwide. And my role as a retired physician, I see as uh, twofold. Number one, as a social activist. And in Lincoln's time, He was a very wise man, and what he said was, in this age, you know, way back in the 1860s, in this country, public sentiment is everything. With it, nothing can fail. Without it, nothing can succeed. Well, today we have DACA, and we have 90% of Americans who say they're in favor of DACA. And I'll get I'll explain what DACA is all about in a minute. However, even with 90% sentiment saying they're for it, DACA is about to go down the drain. And there's all sorts of talk in Congress right now about whether they come to a deal or not. The final decision, however, will be President Trump's and we all know how he feels on being the one to make the final decision. So we have scheduled a march nationwide um, for February 24th, which is a Saturday. Uh, Already we have 18 states involved, and those states are Alabama, Arizona, Arkansas, California, Florida, Georgia, Iowa, Louisiana, Illinois, Maine, Missouri, Montana, New Hampshire, New Jersey, Oklahoma, Oregon, South Carolina, Texas. Where are the other 32 states? Now, I believe that progressives have felt a need to comment and to support in word ideas like Medicare for All, ideas like Save DACA Kids, and also my next cause, which is going to be preventing violence against mass school killings. Yes. Yes. Back to DACA. So back, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just agreeing with you about your, your next project. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we can't, we can't really go forward without saying, and, and certainly Sandy Hook should have been the moment, and I, I don't know if, we, our culture and our uh, political process was as evil as, as it is today. It's, it's the most uh, vicious environment where it almost seems like uh, a civil war could break out um, uh, due to a couple of incidents. We're, we're, we're in a very tense situation. And I think that that's what's brought this latest uh, school shooting um, to consciousness. 
And again, it's what I'm trying to focus on is not just bringing ideas to consciousness, but changing the consciousness to action. Yes. And what I what I think that most progressives and Americans have done is stated their outrage, written letters to their senators, congressmen, local representatives, spoken out at school boards, spoken out at council meetings. And that's good, but that's not action. In other countries, in Western Europe, if something happens that really disturbs and is troublesome to the people of France, they take to the streets at a moment's notice. In the United States, that is not the case. Last summer, when via social media, which Lincoln did not have, so when he talked about public sentiment, you know, he was talking about how people felt, but they weren't able to express it to each other through social media, and they could not come together to organize, organize to actually do something. And in the past, I've made a motion to do, to do, to act. It is not enough to speak words. Words without actions is not going to solve our problems. And do not, do not look to Congress. Do not look to the president to solve problems. We've had these problems for decades. I got into politics, as Janine said, back in the late 80s because Clinton said he was going to be in favor of health care reform. At the time, I was still practicing medicine, and, and I did this in my spare time, and I was elected chairman. I got very involved and, uh, and quite frankly, was quite disappointed when I found out that everything was political and that big pharma and insurance companies really ru- ruled the roost and, and, that, and that this whole facade of, of the politicians caring about the people was a lie. It was a lie. It was a lie then. It's a lie today. And the next time we hear somebody, some politicians say our thoughts and prayers go out to the victims of the school shootings, they're empty words. We've heard them too many times. President Obama cried, showed emotion. That's yeah. admirable. But other presidents have read teleprompters of words that they should say. It must be the standard version for a president, except for President Obama, who, who is real. Americans want real, authentic politicians. Um, Jimmy Carter... Is, is my hero for the last, you know, 30 years or so, because he's a doer. He's in the 90s, and he's still doing things. He's not just talking. He's actually going to places to solve problems. He, he's, he's painting. He's writing books. He's doing so much. And most of Americans' public sentiment is with DACA, but most Americans – Actions are not supporting DACA because if their actions were supporting DACA as they do in France by taking to the streets, we would have seen massive marches. We would have seen, you know, around the Congress, Capitol Hill, the White House, it it would have happened by now. So I find it very perplexing why 18 states stepped up to do something because they will all be having marches on next a week from this Saturday on February 24th. I think it comes at an important time 
because on March 5th, 1,200 DACA kids are going to be deported. And my sense is that unless Trump gets what he wants, and I'm sure he's going to add more of his favorite programs into a bill, basically holding the DACA kids as hostages, as hostages for his favorite list of projects. The wall that separates Mexico from the U.S., that's only the beginning. And I think that if he doesn't get what he wants, forget about what Congress is doing, that the DACA kids will be deported. Now, who, who, who are these DACA kids? Everybody hears about DACA, and I'm not sure people know what DACA even stands for. DACA stands for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, not adult arrivals. This is not your normal immigration uh, you know, uh, process where people from Europe and all over the world are trying to get into the United States of America. This is a, this is a process we're talking about where children, babies, infants, toddlers, young children – before the age of 16, because if you're older than 16, you're not in DACA. And how many people are in DACA? There's like 800,000. So the DACA program for childhood, and, and I have a soft spot for children. There's nothing that, 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 that pulls at my heartstrings more than children. I have three fantastic children and seven precious grandchildren, and I will do anything for children. Welcome to Talk Radio. I'm, I'm an author. I've written books. All, all the proceeds to my books go to St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital, and it's the children that we, we must save because without the children, we have no future. The people that are living Today, in different generations, you know, there's been the silent, 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 I I don't know what happened. We're having a we're having a tough time on Block Talk today. But thank you for being so uh, courageous and continuing to speak. Can you hear sure. me now? Absolutely. Do you have any questions for me? Well, you know, I I think that the the parallels that you drew between the the healthcare for all interest, the DACA interest, and um, now you know the childhood safety in our schools kind of interest is. There is a common theme through all of those. And what you pointed to was how our government is becoming less and less responsive. And I would assert, as does the coffee party in general, that the reason government is less and less responsive to you and me and to marches and to phone calls and all of that is because the money in politics has become so outrageous since Citizen United that we're fighting lobbyists who are better paid than most neurosurgeons, right? That's exactly right. And, and so, yeah, until we can get money out of politics, you and I, we can vote, we can testify, we can march, and we should. All of those things, we shouldn't drop our level of participation. But in the background is we have got to get this money out of politics so that you and I actually have a chance are actually so our elected have a chance to represent us as opposed to die on the vine because all their funding is removed by those people uh, absolutely absolutely um, the reason why I'm a progressive is because progressives believe <clears throat> that corporations which are literally taking over America. Yes. And, and are literally killing Americans, basically the survival of the fittest, the poorest 
are being hit the hardest. Food stamps are being taken away. Programs, safety net programs for the poor are, are going away in order to give tax cuts to the super wealthy. Not even, it used to be the, a wealthy person was a millionaire. Now, a wealthy, a wealthy person, they define it as someone in the billions. So they're, give, they're getting tax cuts, whereas <clears throat> the middle class is getting peanuts and the poor is getting really hurt. And Congress is, is basically bought and owned, owned <clears throat> by corporations, certainly the NRA, NRA. I just saw something this morning. So, Senator Rubio, if you're out there, and I know yes. you say you, you care about family values and your children and, and <clears throat> you're a dad. <clears throat> Can you explain how you took $3.5 million from the NRA? Did you want any of, any one of us listening to believe that the $3.5 million that you got from the NRA did not influence your votes on gun issues? Do you want us to believe that? Really? We don't believe it. I don't believe it. The no, days, no. The, the days are over, Janine, when, when we, we the people are going to believe the lies. <clears throat> the lies will continue, but we the people will go around the lies because we are going to elect progressives, and I use that word importantly because progressives, again, are the only ones who have st stood out and said no corporate money in politics. Now, does it take money to run a campaign? Yes, it does. Bernie Sanders proved that you can run it on $27. There, <clears throat> there's a congressman from New Jersey, Peter Jacob, who I'm supporting for Congress. He has taken no corporate dollars, and he is expecting that the people will support them. Now he, here's, and here's the issue. Wh whose fault is it that we have the government that we have today? This is not... Donald Trump's fault, really. I mean, he's done some evil things, but the culture that we live in for generations has been going down the drain. And, and who is the culture? Who, who, who drives the culture? We do. We go to violent movies. We buy violent video games. We, we tolerate violence uh, inflicted by our military overseas on innocent people. When those bombs drop, trust me, the soldiers are, are about five feet away from a child. So remember that. Amer America is the country of violence. And until we change that culture, that we are the, that the country of violence. We're the most violent country in the world. We kill more people overseas and in our own country than any other nation on earth. Other you countries know, are aghast. I'm sorry. No, no, no. That, I just wanted to add to this that I so agree with you, and I, I didn't mean to – I thought I heard a pause. I didn't mean to interrupt. But I have to point again to – how much this culture is influenced by those who finance our government. And in right. other words, you know, when, when the, when a previous president took us to war, um, right. there was no, there was no civic agreement. There was no civic, there was civic agreement to respond to Osama bin Laden and go into Afghanistan and get him. There was not right. civic agreement for invading Iraq. And, that was all about money. Not only the, the, the people who were sponsoring uh, the White House at the time made gazillions on that war and continue. 15 years of war continued to make money. You know, and so it's ironic to me that, you know, the president, our current president can say, oh, my God, this debt, we're spending, you know, gazillions of dollars in the Middle East. Why are we doing that? We need to build a wall. Hello. Uh, ask Halliburton why we're spending gazillion dollars in the 
Middle East. Ask all these big corporate winners um, about it. And so we have, I honestly, in my heart of hearts, Michael, do not believe that our culture has shifted as much as our leadership has shifted. And people pretend that they define us. I don't think they do. If, if you go to Europe right now, people are very clear. A right. certain person is in the White House, and I'm an American. They like Americans. They hate the White House. Exactly. So, so we need to, as, as a country, define who the enemy is. And yes. in, in, the, in the cartoon character, the enemy is us. Because yeah, Pogo. <laughs> Pogo said that. And yes. You know, the issue here is that when we bomb countries, do you really think the people of that country are evil? I don't. Maybe some, but I think the leadership is certainly evil. So, therefore, the people suffer for the sins of of the leadership. Now, in America, who has less and less friends every day, who our allies, I do not believe, will come to our defense as more and more countries have nuclear weapons, and we're getting a little bit off topic here, but yeah. and I'll get back to talk in a minute. But I just want to bring up one point: what, how many years since 1776, Janine? Do you think, because I have the reference right in front of me, that America has been at war out of all the years since 1776? Just, just give any number. Oh, gosh. Well, if you include undeclared war, you know, uh, military right. action in undeclared war, I'm not sure there's any time. Right. Well, so so there's 239 years since 1776, and we've been at war for 222 of, the, of those years, 93% oh. of the time. 93%. You can look it up on Google references, and, and, it's, and it starts with the American Revolutionary War, which was certainly a necessary war, I think we believe, you know, to have freedom. Um, the, you know, certainly World War II was a necessary war that we believed that we were attacked and that the world was being under assault. Uh, I, I would think that those are, are you know, legitimate wars. Many, many other wars we fought, many wars with Native Indians, et cetera, et cetera, that, who knows? But we're a warlike country, and we need to, the people, and people, if you don't understand this point, um, if America is attacked, we are the ones who will be the victims. The, the leadership will be in an underground tunnel protected. So we're going to be the ones hurt, not them. So getting back to DACA. So, so, so these are children we're talking about that we're saving, not 30-year-olds who, who, who certainly could apply for immigration and get in line like everybody else from, from the rest of the world. But we're talking about children who were led into America as babies. Their parents were undocumented, but they were allowed to stay, and they've stayed now for 20, 30, 20 years or so. So what happened was that Congress passed something called the DREAM Act, which is a bipartisan bill, believe it or not, uh, first proposed in 2001 uh, that was, it was actually passed uh, to, to allow immigrants who were brought into the United States as children to attend college. Now, it didn't talk about citizenship. And the key difference between DACA is that even though they were allowed to stay as children and grow up as teenagers, there was never anyone who had the foresight to think about providing a path for citizenship for these children. So President Obama issued an executive order to, to say that the, child, that the DACA children can stay in America, and, and, and he, he asked Congress to, to pass a, a law uh, to confirm that. Uh, Congress turned that bill down. There, there was no support. There was a lot of court cases, and it finally went to the Supreme Court in the last year of Obama's administration, 
And if, if you remember, uh, Judge Scalia had passed away, and the Supreme Court only had eight judges, and the Supreme Court voted four to four um, not to do anything, not to uh, allow the DACA children to stay. So, so here we are. So we, 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 we could cry in our beer and say, oh, whoa, 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 whoa was us, whoa was us. Uh, and we could, we, could, we could write memes and we could, we, we could put all the comments we want on Facebook and Twitter uh, about how evil the, the, this person or this congressperson was. But guess what? We go back to our same lives the next day and we don't vote. Last, in, in 2016, only 46% uh, of Americans voted. That's a disgrace. Um, in other countries in Western Europe, some of them have mandatory voting, by the way, mandatory. It's like mandatory taxes. I personally right. think we should have that. I, and I also think we should have a citizenship test for all Americans. I think we should return civics 101 to, to schools. I, I don't think most Americans even understand. They don't even know who their senator is. We all watch uh, Jay Leno, uh, Jay walking, and, and he asks questions to people just walking by, young people, old people, you know, like, like who's, the pre who's the vice president? And they say things like, um, is it Bush? You know, it's like they don't know. They, they don't know basic stuff because they don't read newspapers anymore. They go to, to, to TV to get their news. Now, 90% of mainstream media is owned by corporations. Yeah. That's a fact. So when you watch CNN, NBC, and Fox News, or we call it Fox, you know, false news, <laughs> But then other people call everything fake news, so people are totally confused. Well, maybe you should be confused. And maybe if you're confused, maybe you shouldn't watch commercial TV. That, that basically gives a biased point of view, a biased point of view. And, and now the president wants to get rid of uh, you know, public uh, t television. He wants to get away. He wants to... Uh, take away uh, Big Bird from, from the children, uh, no more Elmo. I mean, what? <laughs> that, those are such important programs because why? They tell the truth because they're, it's public. It's, it's not bought by a corporation. Anything a corporation has to do, and it's well known, and I'll repeat this, that the duty of the CEO of a corporation is only one thing, it's not to help people. It's not to make the world better. It's to maximize shareholder value. That's all. One duty. Yes, yes. Well, and, that, and, and I that's, Yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I, I don't uh, disagree. The only thing I want to sort of the caveat I want to give this, and, and again, it doesn't matter if it's blocking a pathway to citizenship or any other of these social injustices that we see around us, the, the corporations that are actively engaged in social engineering like this are all global. Right. There, you know, I mean, I'm a retired business owner. My firm had incorporated for obvious tax reasons. Um, we, plus we did work with, very large organizations. And so it was the only way to be able to do business with very large organizations. But most corporations are little guys like me. You know, right. I had, I had, you know, $2 million a year. My market share rounded off to zero, <laughs> you know, 40 right. employees. But, you know, I held the lives of those 40 people and their families in my hands. And I, I looked at it that way. And I think most small business owners do. You have a private practice. So whether That's you're right. a corporation or whether you're a partnership or whatever you were, what, whatever business model you chose, your, uh, your motivation wasn't social engineering on this scale. You know, it might have been social engineering like let's get health care to everyone. And some people could misinterpret the, a commitment to have wellness as that. But you see what I'm saying. So sure. the, the – the pain. Yeah, Janine, point yep. well taken. Point well taken. You're exactly correct. And I apologize for not differentiating small business 
from, from the large corporations. But, but you, you also bring up a bigger point, which is key, that globalization has, has changed the dynamics of corporations. And, yes. and I think uh, earlier on in, in America's history, when, when our corporations were located within the United States, when we heard the phrase made in America, right, uh, that was the corporation that was, I wouldn't call them evil at all. I'd call, I'd call them, like you said, small, uh, small business and big business and, and, and giant businesses, but, but they, were, they were devoted toward providing services and goods for the citizens of the United States, necessary services and goods, and I, and I think that was acceptable. And I think you, you put your finger exactly on, on the point of change. When, when corporations became global, that's when it changed because then competition became, uh, you know, the, the great motivator because then corporations wanted to merge and they wanted to violate uh, antitrust laws and try to get around them and, and, and try to become bigger and bigger and, and huge. And, and that's when the Walmart started to move into towns and, and, and destroy local uh, grocery stores. Uh, so, you're exactly right. When business became global, that was the turning point. And, and I think that small business is fine. And, and I apologize. Um, I do not. I, met, I should have excluded small business. And I should have excluded um, corporations before globalization. So I'm, I'm glad you brought up those points, Janine. Uh, again, point well taken. Well, so, to me, there's an interesting connection here because here we are being manipulated uh, both through the media, as you said, and through various other mechanisms of social engineering by global uh, wealth builders. And, right. and yet the issue of like DACA, which is really just, hey, these guys can't even get work permits. You know what I mean? These cannot. These people can't be a part of the means of production, even. So I, I don't get the disconnect here. Why would business not support a pathway to citizenship? And I, and I know that DACA has been criticized as you know the Obama DACA was criticized as it wasn't really a clear pathway to citizenship as it was to legitimate work permits. You know the ability to uh, be documented enough to go to work, earn a paycheck, pay social security, and not be under the table or using someone else's name. But, uh, you know, so I'm curious, first of all, why globalists would be against this pathway. And the other thing is, I know that right now we've got about 20 minutes left. I know that right now there's various legislation in Congress as we speak, probably right. being uh, hearings as we speak about this issue. And I'm really curious if any of those bills fulfill your vision for what DACA kids deserve. And if not, what do they lack that you think they need? Well, well, number one, <clears throat> the children need to have <clears throat> the weight from their shoulders removed that there's a deadline looming March 5th when they will start to be deported. And the deadline for the final deportation of all DACA children is 2019 because 1,200 per day will be deported. So number one, any bill has to remove uh, this date of, and I know some judges at lower levels have said we can move the date back, but uh, I dare say that uh, that that what's going to happen, Supreme Court will will uphold what the legislative branch has done or not done. Uh, and so, so to answer your question, is that you know uh, there there are, there are articles here that that are coming out just just today where yes. the Trump Trump administration moves to preempt preemptively kill kill DACA's last best chance. And the president is declaring basically that that he wants Congress to come up with 60 votes 
and to pass it, and they don't have 60 votes because Congress, as we know, is so polarized, and now it's polarized to the point where it's really hurting people. And, 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 and I think the polarization of Congress is a direct result of Congress people being elected because of the globalization of corporate, corporatism. And this is the reason why um, progressives have labeled some, quite frankly, members of both parties, corporate Democrats, corporate Republicans, um, seems to be much more on the Republican side, almost unanimously. But there's also many corporate Democrats who vote, who vote not in a progressive manner. What, what, what's a progressive manner? Um, it's certainly to move the country forward and to help people. Um, that's my simple definition. Um, I'm sure there's better. Um, and they say they're conservatism. They're, they're conservatives. What, what are they conserving? When, when, when they allow the NRA to have their, their way? And, and, and what are they conserving uh, when, when they allow children to be deported that came here as infants? It wasn't their decision. Um, they went with their parents if, if they had stayed in Mexico. And let's be frank, what was one of the first comments the president said about the rapist of Mexico, et cetera, et cetera? We got to have a wall. We have to separate, you know, the two countries because of illegal immigration. And that whole that whole argument, I think, is part of his base that won him the election. Um, so we have that polarization because of that. Uh, and we need to elect the progressives that that basically are going to say no more, no no more corporate money. And, and uh, just recently, um, Senator Gillibrand, uh, Senator um, uh, Warren, uh, forgive me for forgetting a few. I know Senator Sanders, Bernie Sanders, uh, and a few others have come out and said. They will take no more corporate money going forward, no more PAC money, and you know, no more political action committee, which people can hide behind, and don't have to give their name, but but just give it in a name of, you know, a name they make up, like you know, America is great, you know, and 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 mm-hmm. they, they just and, and and they just gave you know, ten million dollars to. To uh, to vote for every NRA bill coming out, or or to vote to deport DACA children, and yet they call uh, the PAC America is great, you know. Yeah, so that has to go by the wayside. And, and I just want to say that 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 as more and more Democrats uh, at the federal level, and also candidates that are trying to reach the federal level. That are, are candidates for Congress right now are, are are saying loud and clear, no more corporate donations to my campaign, to my to my uh, office, and that I will accept money from the people. Now that brings up the people. We need to do our part, and here's the parts we need to do. We need to realize that 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 campaigns cannot exist with with zero money. Because otherwise, you know, where where are the candidates going to um, get lawn signs? Where, where are they going to run a commercial to get known? Um, what, what my argument is that the best and the brightest of Americans are not being elected. They're not even running because because you know it, it takes an incredible amount of money to get elected in in this uh, the crazy political system. And and we've been talking about. You know reforms of the, you know, the the campaign finance for decades, and they don't want to change. And, and another uh, thing that they don't want to change is term limits. So they want a job. They want a job forever. They want to be in in Congress forever, and and that's and that's the reason why nothing changes. That's the reason why we have status quo. That's the reason why we have senators who have been in Congress for 30 years and we have, you know, long-standing people that they lose connection with the American people, quite frankly. 
And and the American people, however, just keep on electing them over and over and over, you know, or or or, or as as what's coming down now, and and most millennials, and I have three millennial children of my own, and um, my wife as well. Um, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> we have we have uh, three great millennial children, uh, but. Our children are starting to say, does anything matter anymore? It's so corrupt. The, the whole process is corrupted by globalization of the big corporations, the giant corporations. Those, those, are, those are the ones that are turning our political system into a system where why vote? Because you know we, we've had gerrymandering of districts, of congressional districts that look like a snake because they want to ensure that, you know, the district where they draw the lines remains all Democratic because they carve out certain demographics, uh, you know, in certain districts and they keep the demographics in other districts. So basically gerrymandering is is to, to get to at least maintain the status quo, but but also to not allow new people in into the system. So we need to fight that as well. And by the way, all of this po- political system starts by locally. And Tip O'Neill once said, "All politics is local," and we need to remember that because we can today, tomorrow, uh, we can we can call up our our local, um, whether it's Democratic, whether it's Green Party, whether it's uh, Republican Party, and say when, when is the next count? When is the ne- next meeting of the, uh, you know, basically Democratic Party or, or other party meetings that they have? Because I'd like to run to be a committee person, and a committee person means in your district, it means your neighbors. So you're basically voting for a couple of, you know, like maybe 30 blocks around you. And that's a district. And you could run to be the representative for that district of 30 blocks around you or less. No, but that's the problem. People are not doing that. When, When I, before I became the chairman of the party, I knocked on doors to fill spots where people who, who did not even bother to run in that district for a committee person. In other words, it had no representation. The thoughts of all those people in those 30 blocks were not represented at all. So therefore, you need, you need to get involved at, at the grassroots, at the very grassroots in your town, in your town. And you need to be part of the solution where, where you're going to run or, or maybe no one will oppose you, and that's great. You get elected, uh, and, and if you do are opposed, you certainly have to talk to your neighbors. Isn't that what it's all about, talking to each other? And I almost find in the social media age that that even though it's supposed to connect all of us, I almost find that, that we're more disconnected than ever. It's like we, we can only type um, to each other. We can't actually face-to-face talk to each other. And I think, as we all know, that conversation is mostly body language. So, therefore, the real meaning of what you're saying is best done person-to-person because people can then tell what you're really saying. I see on Facebook all the time assumptions made, misinterpretations, um, all sorts of fighting going on back and forth. And on my page, Janine, I don't allow that. I don't allow any personal attacks. I don't allow any vulgarity. I don't allow uh, people to go off topic. And I expect people to contribute, not just say, I agree, but to do some research. And there's something called Google that we have in America. (laughs) All you got to use is Google. You could could look up anything. Uh, I could look up right now. I have a computer in front of me, and uh, the world is at my fingertips. 
I can learn about North, North Korea. I can learn about anything. You could do it, too. And I urge all Americans to do that. So you need to get involved at the local level. You need to Google uh, when the meetings are. You need to show up. You need, you need to run for office. And, th- and then you need to elect a chairman of your town that expresses the views that you want. And if you want to be progressive, uh, it doesn't happen by magical thinking. And I see so many posts on Facebook, impeach the president, get, get rid of Congress. What, what, what does that mean? Th- those, those typing words mean nothing, okay? And, and, and my response is, uh, are you involved in that process to impeach the president? Are you involved in the process to change Congress? And they go, what yeah. do you mean? Involved, and that's I explain what I explain. So involvement of the people. So when I say I'm a, I'm a social activist, I mean I want to convert people for Medicare for All, which gets support of 60% of the American people, 60%, but yet we don't have it. So in Lincoln's time, that 60% would have represented something that would have resulted in a law. Today, that's not the way it works. So today, unless you act, unless you get involved politically in the system, you can't change the system. So you have to get involved at the local level, like I said, and work your way up. And that's the way I did it. I worked my way up to chairman, and then I was on the county committees, and then then I was a delegate for uh, a president, and et cetera, et cetera. And And I did it just from scratch. Matter of fact, well, Michael, a patient of Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, sorry. So I, uh, um, I totally endorse what you're saying, and you have, you have sparked a caller who has their hand up. We've only got Great. seven minutes left, so let's go to them really quickly, and then if we have time, I can respond to some of your comments. Um, I'm yes. opening the mic for area code 612. Welcome to Thinking Out Loud. Yes, good morning, guys. Um, thank you for taking my call. I just wanted to make two quick points and um, get your thoughts on it. Uh, first point on the issue of uh, Medicare for All, I don't think it's necessarily an issue of whether people want it or not. I think it's just uh, an affordability issue because I believe in California, they uh, they actually tried to have a uh, like a full government health care in the state of California. They ran the numbers and they found that it was co- it would cost them around $200 billion, which was more than their entire state budget, which at the time was about $185 billion. And uh, even Bernie Sanders recently talked about how the cost for a national health care system would be astronomical and that it was something that was just simply unattainable unless you were willing to double, you know, the federal tax revenue. And on the second point, when it came to immigration, I think we all agree on the situation with the DACA kids that, you know, the people in DACA should be able to stay. But my question is, why do, uh, why do Democrats oppose building the wall? You know, if I'm not mistaken, Mexico has a wall on their southern border to deal with people who come from El Salvador and Guatemala to try to legally enter their country. And for why, why is it then okay for them to do that? But when Americans try to do the same, why are we? Why is it a political issue? I just don't understand why it's just not well, a natural security thing that we all agree with. Great so, question. So first of, oh wait, one second. Uh, I forgot to ask you your name, sir. Yeah, my name is Michael Neff. Okay, Michael. Thank you. And. Um, Michael Resnick, you've got two minutes yeah. to answer that question. <laughs> From one Michael to another, great yeah. question. Um, on, on the first part, um, states are different than the federal government. States have a, a budget that they must pass each year, and, and they cannot go over that budget. They have to either raise taxes or whatever to meet their obligations. So, therefore, I do not believe for many reasons that Medicare for all can be done at the state level. And, and I, I understand what California is trying to do and Howard Dean tried to do it in Vermont, Bernie Sanders state. It did not work. It cannot be done at the, at the state level. It can be done at the federal level because the federal government can never go bankrupt because they can literally print money. And as we know, the, the federal government is, is in deficit. Now, major economists have shown if we had a Medicare for all, and I could talk about this forever, because I'm a doctor, that, that if we had a Medicare for all, 
we would have more prevention. We'd have doctors and nurses involved in writing the bill. And therefore, we, we would actually save money because we'd have not, not sick people go into the ER where, where, where they then have nowhere to go. And, and the whole idea about big pharma uh, charging so much money, Bubba, I could talk. There's, t there's too many answers. But the answer to your question, in short, is not at the state level, at the federal level, Medicare for all. The second point on DACA is why the Democrats now want a wall, uh, and, and, and I guess that, 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 that their philosophy has been that, that uh, um, immigrants have always wanted to come into America and, and that walls. Do you remember when President Reagan said, tear down that wall, Mr. Gorbachev? And I think that there is an image in the minds of some Democrats and Republicans um, that walls, you know, are not good, and, and that's a philosophical. Well, come on now, sir. I mean, be honest. There's, you can't compare those to the that, that was a communist wall to keep people from leaving their country. I mean, you're right, Mike. I mean, no, you're right, Michael. That, that that idea just popped in my head. But the, the, you know, when you say Democrats, I think you, we need to talk about. Uh, the Democratic Congress versus the Democrats in the population, and and you know I personally I'm a I'm a, I'm a progressive Democrat, and if you ask me if if I had to trade um, the 800,000 DACA children in return for the wall, I would accept that deal. That's what I would do, because people are more important than walls or money or anything people are more important than anything so so michael if if i were in congress um i, I would i would definitely support what you're saying for the wall so well, you're okay with what the president offered with the 1.8 million people giving a path to uh, citizenship in exchange for the wall i mean that, that's what's on the table basically yeah yeah no, democrats no. are refusing it yeah no, no, no i said that if I were a Democrat in Congress right now, I would accept that deal. All well, right. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Thank our, you. Our, yeah, yeah. And now, I will say that uh, I am not a Democrat, and my initial response to the wall, and we're talking way back to the primaries, right, was just the fact that I live on the West Coast. It sounds to me like you do, too, Michael, that you're Californian. I'm an Oregonian. And it seemed a little misdirected to me because I'm big into law enforcement, Absolutely. But I also know that the Mexico-American crime cycle is not going over the wall. The crime cycle is people bring drugs through tunnels into America. They sell the drugs. They use the money to buy guns. Then they take the tunnel and go back. And, so, and they commit crimes while they're here, terrible crimes, because these people who do it are cartel drones and they're terrible criminals in their personal life 24-7. So when it was first brought up to me, it was like, it, it just seemed to be missing the point about the real, you know, what do you want to do if you want to stop the heroin highway? The wall was not it. And in, in my world, the heroin highway is a way bigger deal than a few people uh, being brought over by coyotes. You guys, uh, we have 90 seconds. I wish I'd uh, planned a longer show. Uh, Michael from California, I want to thank you very much for calling in, and I hope you'll call in next week. Um, Michael Reschnick, thank you so much, Dr. Reschnick, for uh, your participation in this call. Uh, and if folks want to know more about your um, Save DACA Kids rally, they should go where? Uh, they should go to Facebook. Uh, we have a Save DACA uh, Kids uh, webpage. Um, they can certainly uh, reach me on Facebook, Michael Rushnak. Just send me a personal DM. You don't have to be a friend of mine to do that uh, on on Messenger. Um, so uh, that's what I would say to do. And and I would say again, Michael, I appreciate your call from California because you and I probably could work this situation out. I bet I bet you you and I. It sounds like you're a Republican and I'm a progressive Democrat, but it sounds like if we sat face to face that, that we could work the situation out. And, and that's the kind of Congress we need. We don't have it. We need to realize that we, the people, Michael in California and Michael, me in New Jersey, are going to have to sit down and, and talk and we're going to have to get involved and we're going to have to stop 
yelling at each other and stop calling each other names. I'm not talking about us two. I'm talking about the people on Facebook and everywhere else. And and, and we have to come up with solutions. We have to Google uh, the answer to a question. So uh, we can't accept lies anymore. And, Mike, you're right that, that, the, that the wall in, uh, in Germany was regarding communism. Uh, so, so you see, you see, the ability to agree, to, to disagree, or the ability to accept criticism, uh, valid, constructive criticism, is a keynote. And, by the way, you know, I just want to say the last thing, Janine, is that you know, I've been out of politics uh, uh, officially for a long time. I'm retired now. I'm trying to do as much as I can as, as a private citizen, social activist. However, there's always been a dream of mine to return and to return to Washington somewhere. So who knows what will happen in my future. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, thank you all for listening to the first edition of Thinking Out Loud. Thank you. Ah!